Exodus chapter 20, and we will be reading verses 7 through 11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. May the Lord add his richest blessings to the reading of his word. You may be seated. And we would like to invite you, if you are interested, or whether new or regular uh, tender here, uh, we do have uh, two of our teachers downstairs uh, for the young people to be able to teach them at this time. If you would like them to go down, you're welcome to have them go. It's right below us in uh, the basement, or you may just keep them with you either way. There are many excuses that are given often for vulgar language. Pardon my French. Or, oops, might be heard. Some people just don't care anymore. And part of the problem is that to ask a person to refrain from poor or offensive words is in itself in this 21st enlightened century offensive. The expression of oneself gives the excuse needed to speak or to talk however you want to. And the only thing that I believe that will soon be offensive and is already offensive is declaring the name of God by believers. Here recently, a man who worked for the British healthcare system had been working for them for about 23 years. Maybe you saw the news. Actually, war has been wearing now for about 13 years a little cross symbolizing his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and was actually fired from his job for that cross. He went, the I can't remember, uh, is it British Concern? Maybe, Samuel, you might remember. Uh, I think it's UK or British Concern. It's a It's a... A group that actually helps Christians to fight battles like this actually took uh, the the national health system in England, took them to court, and they actually won. And he was given the availability to wear that little cross as a symbol of his faith. Now, when you stop and think about that, you might think, well, that's not really such a big deal. Except for the fact that if you were Buddhist or Muslim or whatever, you'd be allowed to wear whatever you wanted to represent your faith. But we as Christians are not allowed to wear or to say anything because it is an offense. But why is it an offense? Why is it an offense offense for us to go up to people and tell them, for example, Merry Christmas or Happy Christmas? Where is the offense in that? If there was no first advent and the Lord Jesus Christ coming to this earth, there would be no Christmas to celebrate to begin with. But you see, it's offensive for us to say things like that. There is certainly a strong sense of hypocrisy and double standards at hand for the true believer is not allowed to say what he or she wishes to say. I'm sure it's probably this way in your place as well of work, but it's acceptable in the workplace to fill the air with words, vulgar jokes, sexual innuendos that are not fit for any gathering, but try to bring up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in a positive fashion, and you will find that there are grounds for discrimination, hatred, and the possibility of job termination for you. We have come a very long ways in this country, haven't we? that it is acceptable to say and to use whatever language you want, but you can't use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in a Christian way or in a biblical way. Now, I've been in the workplace for quite a few years. Started work when I was 13, 14 years old. First job I had was babysitting. 
And ever since then, I've been able, to, I've had the privilege of being able to work and serve as a missionary and on three different continents now. And as I think back over my time, I can't ever remember, even including times when I served in an area like we did in Liberia, where there were a number of Muslim people, I don't ever remember, you know, the word where you take the Lord's name in vain, G-O-D, and then you follow it up with D-A-M-N. I don't ever remember hearing Allah's name put in there, or Muhammad's name put in there, or Buddha's name put in there. Why is that? In our attempt to obey God, we think that we can mold the world, though, to a godly image. And here's the problem. We want to believe that the world, if we just try a little bit harder, that we will get the world to accept God's standard of life and of holiness. The truth is that the world doesn't love you and it doesn't love our God. It will only act in a manner that reflects what controls them. You see, the world is controlled by the evil one. Not everybody is a child of God. The Bible is very clear about that. Only those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when the world comes up and they speak, and there are many people who have said that to me, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you're a pastor. Pardon my French. And I say, well, you know, I speak a few languages and that's no French word that I've ever heard. <laughs> and we can make a little bit of fun or a little bit light of that and yet, there are times when people have actually come back and said, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, but I don't expect you to hold the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in high esteem. I expect you to speak vulgarity. I expect you to use foul language because ultimately that is what is in the heart of every person who is not a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if the believer is to live a holy life, how does this passage apply? I mean, we have been talking about the Ten Commandments and this is now commandment number three and number four. <clears throat> we remember our purpose, first of all, again, number one is to do how much to the glory of God? All, do all to the glory of God, right? And number two, to point to the marvelous and matchless person of Jesus Christ. So if we follow this purpose, we could sum all of this first part of the message up by saying that we must be careful with our words. You know, I've met people who claim to be saved who use the same language as they did before they got saved. There is an even worse scenario, and that is that there are times when you can go online and you can watch, and I, if you're interested, I could give you the names afterwards, but there are pastors, well-known pastors of mega churches who stand in the pulpit who use vulgar or crude language that is acceptable to the world, and they do this because they want their message to be relevant. And they want the relevance of the message without having to change, have, have to have any change. After all, God will accept you right where you are. <coughs> That's very true. But the Bible also says he won't leave you there. He will change you. Our conversation should point to the sinless, perfect, matchless Savior so that nobody will ever be able to accuse us of speaking in vain. Now, I don't want anybody to misunderstand here. I realize that sometimes if you're out and you're doing work and you hit the wrong nail, there's something that might pop out of your mouth that shouldn't pop out of your mouth. And I understand that. Now, the question though is, does that somehow damn us to hell because we have used a bad word? No, I think we all use, there are, all time, there are times when we use words and sometimes we even use what's known as a euphemism where we can replace the really, really, really bad words with another one that's not quite so offensive. And I think that it's important that we understand this passage because if we are to keep ourselves from speaking in vain, the New Testament reminds us that we are not to let any corrupt communication come out of our mouth. So how does that actually reflect in our lives? 
The third command, verse 7, we must honor God and remember that his holy name is reflected in all that he is synonymous with holiness, truth, and righteous judgment. So here's the question. If we're in the workplace and we are using language that is reflective of the world, what does that tell our colleagues about what we think about Jesus Christ? This is, again, this is not a matter of of me saying in some way that I'm better than you if you use a word that I don't or vice versa. The point is that God calls us to watch our words and we must protect using the renewing of our mind which Paul calls us to do in Romans chapter 12, that we are to speak in such a way that it points others to Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let the world see your good works so that by them they will then glorify your Father who is in heaven. I think one of the saddest things to hear is go to a funeral and I've had the privilege of doing 273 funerals. Many of those I did when I was a chaplain. I served at four different funeral homes over the course of eight years. And stand up and share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and then have people come up to me afterwards, even those who were family, and say, you know, I didn't know they were a Christian. Boy, that's sad. I'm sure many of you have seen the little little quote, If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Think about that. If you and I were put on trial tomorrow morning for being a Christian, would our words, our actions, our lives be enough to be able to convict us and people would say, yes, there is a person who walks with Jesus. We find that there are many, though, that have a false profession, letter A on your notes. They are not living up to that profession. Israel had a huge problem, for they only wished to claim God when it suited their purposes. They ran after the gods of the heathen, even though they were a chosen people. They were called to be a holy nation. And for Israel to obey this statute, God said, you need, in fact, he commanded them to live up to their profession. In other words, What you say is what you should be. To claim the Lord is our God is to take the name of the Most High in vain if my entire life does not proclaim him as my God. One commentator noted the Lord thy God is actually used in five of the commands. And this is why it is so important for us to consider this this morning. Do you claim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, many claim to know Jesus Christ, but they don't live by their profession. It's a false claim. And this is bolstered by the truth of God's word, where he says in 1 John, if you love me, you would do what? Keep my commandments. I'm reminded, and I've used this illustration quite some time ago, about Alexander the Great, who died at the age of 33, having having conquered the then known world. And a young man who deserted in the heat of battle, a young boy was only about 16 or 17 years old and he stood before Alexander the Great and of course the punishment was going to be death unless Alexander the Great decided to commute the punishment. And he looks down at the young man and he asks him, he says, young man, what is your name? And he says, Alexander. Alexander the Great sits up a little straighter on his throne and he says, What did you say your name was? And he said, Alexander, sir. Alexander the Great stood up off his throne and it is said in the account that he asked him again with a voice filled with rage. He said, what did you say your name was? He stands a little bit taller and he says, Alexander, sir. And Alexander comes down and he looks at him and he says, Young man, either change your conduct or change your name. Folks, here's where we are at as believers. There are a lot of people who claim to be Christians in America. In fact, if you look at the statistics, supposedly 78% of Americans are Christian. I don't think there's 78% of any single town in all of America that goes to church on any given Sunday. I'm just telling you the truth. 
And one of the things that we need to remember is if God has called us to be believers, then what is it about our life that makes us different? You know, when I come to church on a Sunday, my family comes to church on a Sunday with me. I'm glad that they come with me. They don't come because they're getting paid to be here, just in case anybody was wondering. They come because we come as a family to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and one day we will stand before the Lord in glory. And what a wonderful day that will be when all of us together, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, get to see what our eyes can only dimly see here on this earth. We will have fellowship forever with the Lord Jesus Christ, but not for those who have a false profession. We find, secondly, the breaking of a promise. We need to realize our integrity is a crucial part of who we are. We must respond to others with the understanding that we will fulfill our promise to them. This is what he's talking about in this passage in Exodus 20. Our position is as children of the king of kings. The Lord keeps all of his promises, and that's what we are called to do, is to keep our promises as well. We were created in the image of God. But you know, there are many who make promises and they make them specifically in hard times or difficult times. Oh God, if you will just get me out of fill in the blank, then I will do this. There may be a great deal of sincerity that is used in that promise to God, but the truth is that those who normally make such vows do not and cannot keep what they had no right to make. You see, we can't make demands of God. Uh, foxhole conversions is what many people call them, especially those who have served in the military or in the, or in the trenches and the front lines. And they might say something like that, Oh God, if you would just get me back to the States then I will serve you, love you, worship you, obey you, do whatever. But without the strength of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in your life, you and I don't have the ability to be able to do that. But believers are called to live in such a way that we don't take the name of the Lord in vain unknowingly. Instead of making a rash statement, what we should say, according to James chapter 4, verses 14 to 15, is this. If the Lord wills, we will then do this and this. The Bible is clear. We have no promise of tomorrow. <clears throat> and if tomorrow comes and we are not here and we have crossed the line from this life into eternity, then... Again, what we should be reminding ourselves before we get to that date is this. Lord, what is your will for me? You see, we can make all these plans. Here it is, my bulletin. We can make all these plans here, opportunities, announcements, and looking ahead. But what we should be saying is, Lord... If it's your will, we'll be here to celebrate Christmas. If it's your will, we will be here for whatever it may be. Thirdly, the use of vulgar language. Again, the world acts by its own nature and their father is the evil one. But taking the holy name of God in vain, what it actually does is it slights the nature and the character of God because we talk about his holiness. Why would we want to use his name in a manner that is certainly not pleasing to him but use it in a way that demeans who he is? After all, we are told in 1 Peter chapter 1, be ye holy for... I am holy. God will judge the unbelievers for their unbelief and taking his name in vain will show that he does not hold the world guiltless. You know, there are many people who have used the illustration and said maybe you've even heard it from a minister before where if you were to have an interview and you go... Uh, and how many of you have ever been a hiring manager? 
Nobody here has ever hired anybody? Okay, there's a few of you that have, that have done so. You know, I am amazed at the difference between interviews today versus 20 or 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, today it's appalling. But there was a time when you went in for an interview. Let's see, you've, you've been around. You're about my age. So uh, 20, 25 years ago, you showed up wearing a suit and a tie. You minded your P's and Q's. You didn't use bad language. And now you can walk into a job and you can use and say whatever you want to. You can drop word bombs. You can do whatever you want to do. And it's like people don't care anymore. We wouldn't use that kind of language or that's what I used to think and use the illustration that you wouldn't use that kind of language if you were standing before, for example, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II when you were given a knighthood. And yet actually about a year ago, there was somebody who was being given a knighthood at Buckingham Palace was standing there, bowed before Her Majesty, and Her Majesty made a comment, and they responded with an F-bomb in front of the Queen. People don't care. Fourthly, the careless use of God's name. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God. What a joy to be able to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. What a joy to know Him. A commentator made this comment, the end of this precept is the Lord will have the majesty of His name to be held sacred by us. Do you remember what he says in Philippians chapter 2? There is coming a day when every knee will bow because God the Father has given Jesus Christ a name which is what? Above every name. And that at that name, every knee will bow. Using God's name carelessly is no less a sin than cursing it would be. We must remember with humility that he is far above us and we have no right to enter heaven in a cavalier fashion. The use of God's name must be held sacred and it must reflect his majesty. Do you want to know one of the best ways to go before the Lord if you don't know exactly what to say? Open to the Psalms. Listen to this. This is just random. Psalm 63. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. How often do we pray like that? As believers, I believe one of the biggest challenges that we face in our life is our prayer lives. We've talked about this on our Wednesday night services. And if we're not careful, we can even take the name of the Lord in vain in our times of prayer. For example, do we come to the throne of God with a shopping list? Do we look like children coming before the throne with our hands out waiting for the candy from God? Do we come with reverence, showing his sovereign presence and recognizing the majesty that he deserves? There is a book that was written many years ago, and I, I can't even remember who read it. Some of you may know. It's called The Prince and the Pauper. Has anybody ever read that book? Who, who, wrote, who wrote that book? Does anybody remember? No? And it's a story of a young man, two young men who were separated, I guess, at birth, and they look alike, and so the prince switched places with the pauper, and the prince climbs out of the castle window, and the pauper climbs back in, and so throughout the entire story, they get into all kinds of mischief, 
in regards to what they do with their lives. And eventually there's a great seal of the kingdom of England and they go into the young man's room who is actually masquerading as the prince and they ask him where this particular seal is and he says, I didn't realize it was so important, I've been using it to crack walnuts. How many times do we use prayer as just something that we are trying to batter the gates of heaven with? And instead of coming with reverence to the throne of God, we are battering walnuts. You see, if we come in our own strength, we will fail. We will stumble in our words. We must allocate proper time to what should be a proper habit. And I'm not saying again, I'm not sharing these things with you because I have a handle on the best prayer life in the world. No, it's it's a struggle for us. It's a struggle for my family and I. It's a struggle for my wife and I each evening when we go to bed to remember to pray, to remember to take time to pray, to come before the throne saying, Our Father who art in heaven. And then we find, fifthly, the careless use of the tongue. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul has given a series of biblical doctrines here, and now he is going over the practical applications of how to apply this doctrine in their lives. And he says to them in verse 29, Ephesians 4, verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. How many of you have ever heard that little saying? Either you have used it, which you don't have to admit, or you have had it said to you, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt you. Is that true? No, not even remotely is that true. And Paul is very clear here. He says, what we say to one another should be such that it builds up one another. I heard it said growing up with my brothers and sisters, my parents used to say this, if you don't have something nice to say, you guys heard it too? (laughs) Don't say it. Why? Look what he says, continue. And do not, it's the same paragraph, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And what is the answer? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the mandate that you and I have as Christians. This is what we find in the New Testament. We should be talking to one another so that there is never ever a chance for that person to take offense at something that we say. Because if I am speaking to you as one brother to another brother in Christ or as a brother to a sister in Christ, why should I talk to you in a way that I wouldn't talk to Jesus Christ? You see, if we remember that our words, not just on a Sunday morning between 8.45 and 12 o'clock or what God takes into account, he is taking everything into account, every part of our lives, every single day. We will be careful what we say. We will not seek to slight others. We will remember to walk in the footsteps of the master as we are told there was no guile found on his lips. And we will refrain our tongues from evil. But if we are careless, and if we slight others who are also made in the image of God, then we are taking his name in vain. And again, this reflects on his matchless character. 
Listen to Psalm 19.14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Now here's what we need to remember. Unlike when I was a kid and my mom and dad would say, well, you're not supposed to be saying that. And the first words out of my mouth sometimes were, well, he said, or she said. And of course they would then respond, well, if they jumped off a cliff, would you jump off one too? (laughs) You know what we should be remembering is, Lord, let the words of my mouth, let what my heart meditates on, thinks on, dwells on, on a daily, hour by hour, minute by minute basis. Lord, let it be acceptable in your sight. Do you know how much that would change the way we live? If we live that way. We must carefully watch our words. The the words of our mouth, though, will always be a direct reflection of what is in our heart. If our heart is not right, if we're not spending time with God in His Word, if we're not spending time praying, then our our words will come across as being harsh. Our words can come across as being hurtful and certainly lacking in compassion. So I conclude this first section with you to remember the words of Psalm 1914. Lord, let these words, let what my heart thinks about, what I dwell on. It's like the story of the man for 25 years. He sat in his little desk and and he pondered what it would take to rob a bank. And one day the bank got robbed. You know who did it? the young man who had grown into a middle-aged man who had contemplated and thought he worked out all the details over 25 years how to do it. You see, what was really in his heart eventually came out. And if we're not careful, that's what will happen in our lives. The things that we dwell on, the things that we think about, the things that are going on in the world, we'll fill our heads and our minds with that. And then after a while, it'll become just part of our language, become part of our life. This next section, let's look at this briefly this morning as we want to try to finish this up. Lord willing, we are going to be back in Revelation beginning with chapter 6 through 8 in January. So I want to try to get through the rest of the commands over the course of the next couple of weeks. The Sabbath day. Now this one seems to cause the most divisions in a lot of different churches. For a number of reasons. Uh, There are people who say that we are to abide by a Christian Sabbath. There are some who say that the Sabbath was done away with during the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which one is correct? Well, I'm glad you're here today. Jesus Christ fulfilled all aspects of the law, for he alone was without sin. The Messiah was impeccable, which also means that he could not sin. We used to have a group of people who came to our church for a little while in England, the second church that I pastored, and they came in and they were insistent that when the Lord Jesus Christ was a little boy, that he was a naughty little boy, just like every other little boy. They said that when Jesus became a teenager, he got into the same kinds of trouble that all the other Jewish boys got into when they were teenagers. And I said, you don't understand the scriptures, because the Bible is very clear that Jesus Christ is and always was and always will be God. That means that Jesus Christ could not lay aside his Godhood. He was equally God, equally man. To say that the perfect spotless lamb of God could have chosen to sin is to demean the Messiah to be nothing more than a mere upright person. And if he could have sinned or been tempted, then he could not have been the Redeemer. Listen to James chapter 1. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. One day we will stand glorified before God and every heart will be pure As joint heirs with Christ, our only desire will be to please him, which is what our desire should be now. 
to please him who has loved us from all of eternity past and will love us long into eternity in the future. But that eternal Sabbath rest is yet future, but it will come. God has provided a rest for his children. But again, the question remains, and I want to try to answer this in the few minutes we have left this morning. How does the Sabbath apply to us as Christians? Are we responsible for keeping it? We know that the first Sabbath in Genesis chapter 2 was given. God gave the Jews a brief lesson each week and a reminder that they were not to work or they would openly defy God. Six days they worked, seventh day they rested. Ezekiel chapter 39 verse 21, I will set my glory among the heathen and all the heathen shall see my judgment that I have executed and my hand that I have laid upon them. The purpose for the Sabbath was to show the Jewish nation that they were different from all the others around them. The purpose of the Sabbath, point number two, it was a day that was made holy by and to God as a reminder of his marvelous creation. He completed his work and he established a rest to remind us that he is the origin of all things. By observing the seventh day, we, or they were to recall the sovereignty of God. Resting would remind them that the heathen gods were nothing and that they were to worship and give him the glory due his name. But then along comes the Lord Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 2. I'm sure you know the account. Mark chapter 2, verse 27 and 28. The disciples have stopped for lunch and they are picking ears of corn. And of course, the religious leaders, they're angry that the teacher and his followers have disobeyed the fourth command. But if Jesus Christ was without sin, then there must be another explanation as to working on the Sabbath. And here's what Jesus said. Have you not read? The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. You see, Christ was not dealing just with the externalities that pointed to the worship of God, but of what came from the heart. Do you remember what he said in regards to if a person, if a person commits murder? Jesus said, I say unto you, if you have even hated somebody, it's the same as murder. To obey is better than sacrifice and obedience to every external command for the Jewish nation did nothing to confirm that their hearts were right before God. I mean, we could obey all of the commands. That doesn't mean that we have a right heart. And the leaders had made it a burden. If we're not careful, we too can place burdens on people that are not placed there by the Bible. This is true for those who are now under grace. Those who obeyed the law out of love for God, not out of fear. You know, we have met folks who practiced or believed that they practiced the Christian Sabbath. This is particularly big in places like England. And they would say that all but works of necessity, mercy, and piety are forbidden. And yet their lives in the week do not reflect true worship. They said to us that not buying things on a Sunday or going out to eat on a Sunday, somehow they thought made them more spiritual. Just like in Jesus' day. The point is not about whether a person celebrates on a Sunday or not or remembers the Lord Jesus Christ. It's whether we remember the Lord Jesus Christ at all. Because we are actually called to serve and worship him how many days out of seven? Seven. So when Jesus is walking through the fields, he's not breaking the law. He was showing that he is greater than the day. He created the Sabbath and he is showing that he is greater than the Sabbath. He's greater than any day. 
And of course, the religious leaders knew that to be greater, he had to come before the Sabbath, but they didn't want to acknowledge that. To be the Son of God was to be the Eternal One, and to them, this was heresy. Fourthly, the provision for the Sabbath. There are three things that were the reason for the Sabbath. One, a time of refrain from anything that keeps us from the worship of a holy God. So let's make the application here for Sunday morning. The question is not whether you worship, it's who you worship and where you worship and who you're worshiping with. These are the things that are important. This is why when the, uh, the Holy Spirit has directed the disciples or the, the, some of the apostles to be able to write what they do. And the writer of Hebrews, for example, says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but do so and do even more as you see the day approaching. What day? The day of the Lord. The day of his return. Just because we don't celebrate from Friday night at sundown to Saturday night at sundown does not give us the freedom or the availability to be able to just go sit out on our garage or turn on the TV and watch whoever's on. It is a time of refrain to put all of those things away. I was sharing with my parents yesterday. And I'm thankful I don't see a lot of this taking place. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen it really take place in my ministry. You can get on Facebook and you can find all kinds of opinions. And one of the opinions, this was actually on a very conservative, I was not expecting this on this particular site. And the person commented that we are to worship together as a family to learn to love him and that our children should be there to see us and we hold the Bibles and read with them. We hold the hymn books and sing with them. And this person said, oh no, I couldn't do that. I've got five children or four children and I give every one of them a phone so that they can listen carefully. And I thought that was a one-off. hundred and something comments later. There were multiple people who said, oh yeah, you see, church is too much for little children. We should give them some form of entertainment so that they will want to come back. The provision for the Sabbath is secondly a time of rest from the cares of the world. Do you know what we do when we come together on a Sunday to worship? It allows us to hopefully put away all of the entertainment, all of the things that have captured our attention, whether it's the World Cup or whether it's football or what, American football or whatever it may be. We put all that stuff aside and we just worship the one who loved us enough to die for us. Thirdly, it should be a time of remembrance for all that belongs to God. You see, our time should remember the glory of God. And it should remind us that the Lord of the Sabbath condescends to call us his bride. What a joy. No other religion in the world offers that. Finally, point number E in your notes, the perpetuity of the Sabbath. Listen to Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Let no man judge you, whether it's by meat or what you drink or in respect of a holiday or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, these are but a shadow of things to come, but the body belongs to Christ. There are some who might use Romans chapter 14, verse 5 and 6 to take sides. Yes, we should do this. No, we shouldn't do that. No, we should celebrate Christmas. No, we shouldn't celebrate it. But there is no doubt that the Sabbath was given by God to the Jews as a constant reminder of creation. It was given as a holy day. 
I believe the problem for us comes down to this. Do we show grace or a lack of grace when it comes to dealing with matters like this with one another? You know, Christians disagree, though, as to whether it was perpetual for all times or just for the people of Israel. But I believe that the Scripture is clear in the New Testament that we are to look to the new covenant that is found in Jesus Christ. We must show grace in our lives. For if we do not learn to show grace, we will be no better than the religious leaders. The ones who sought to place huge, cumbersome burdens on the people that nobody could keep. This is why we try to be careful. And, and we don't have and nobody that comes here. We don't hand you a list of rules and regulations of what you can or cannot do in your life. We simply say, follow the scriptures. What does the scriptures require us to do? So here's the principle of the Sabbath. What does it mean for the church? The Sabbath was a shadow of the eternal rest that is to come. I do not believe that the New Testament shows any place where the Christian is to celebrate a, quote, Christian Sabbath. It's interesting that all the Old Testament commands that were repeated in the New Testament, there is but one exception, and that is the Sabbath. I believe the principles are still there for us to follow as far as worship one one another. But the point today is not when or what day we worship, but that we have a time of rest. There should be a time in every week where we are all willing to put aside all of the things in the world, all that the world counts dear, and focus solely on the Savior. As Christ pointed out, when the Lord of the Sabbath is present, there is rest. Our weary souls will rest in Him, and as He promised, He will never leave nor forsake us. Israel was required to worship on a set day or they would have forsaken the Lord. For us, the day that we worship should be a day of constant reminder of his care and love. We've been praying for the last two years now, we've been praying every Sunday for the persecuted church. You know there are some countries in the world where they cannot worship on a Sunday. They worship on a Monday or a Friday, or a Tuesday. Believers in China, for example, many of them have to worship on a Friday because they have to work an eight-day week in China. Neither is wrong. What would be wrong is for us as a true believer not to spend time away from the world. The world can get your attention you're not going to be able to go from here to the car without having something from the world to catch your attention. So I conclude with this encouragement. Let us give Him worship. To remember that one day the Lord will return in glory and eternity will be upon us. It's coming quicker than what we think. When my brother left yesterday to fly to move to Germany, I told him time is growing quicker, or it seems to be, and we're not getting any younger. For all of us, time will go quickly to the point where one day we will take our last breath here. And we will walk from the darkness of this world into the light of eternity where the sun is the Lamb. When we see that day, we will be complete in Jesus Christ. There will be an eternal rest for us. Right now, we're to watch, to wait, and to work for his return. But one day, we shall be with the Lord of the Sabbath. 
and the eternal Sabbath we will find is our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we seek to worship you this morning in spirit and in truth. We know that there are some dear believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who may even disagree with some of the things that we have shared today. If they were to hear this message, but what is important is that we are worshiping our God, that we are loving him with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and then loving our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, we hearken back to the first part of the message, and if there are areas where we speak in vain, if we are saying things that we shouldn't, if maybe there are things that catch our attention by the world, and sometimes even in the things that we watch or the things that we allow to come into our mind, it's certainly not helping us to honor Christ. May it be said that we are not letting any corrupt communication come out of our mouths. Help us to be diligent. Help us to remember, Lord, that of all the struggles, of all the sin that we have, that we have to deal with on a regular basis, as Paul said in Romans 7, that, Lord, that we will seek to love you, remembering that one day our rest will come. We look forward to that day, a day that will never end. We ask all of these things because Jesus Christ alone is worthy of our praise. He who is our eternal Sabbath. He who is our eternal rest. May we rest in him. And for those who do not know you or who may be here this morning who do not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation for them. May their faith be placed in Jesus Christ alone. Not in what the world has to offer or what they think they can do to gain eternal life. For we can gain nothing Everything was done by Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, again for the day. We pray that you have been glorified in all that has been said and done. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I invite you to stand with me. and We are going to read the benediction. We're not going to sing another hymn. I just want you to take what you have heard. And I want you to meditate on these things as the Psalms say. In many of the Psalms, it says the little word, Selah, S-E-L-A-H. And it means, think about it. Meditate on this. And I pray that you will meditate on what you have heard today. The book of Numbers, chapter 6. Moses coming to the end of his life and his ministry. And the Lord speaks to Moses. And he says, speak unto Aaron and to his sons. And thus you will bless the people of Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May he give you peace today and through this coming week. Every blessing to each and every one of you.